Good morning. Glad to uh, glad to be here. We're going to start with uh, with prayer. We just um, prayed a few times. We're going to pray again. We're going to pray for some of the churches in town. And uh, I'm going to ask specifically for you to shout out a church that you would like us to pray for this morning. So if you know of any friends that you have or worshiping somewhere else in this city um, or even in another community, uh, shout out the name of their congregation and we'll go ahead and pray for them. So we'll, we'll get a few of them. So go ahead and shout it out. Okay. What is it? Bethel A.M.E. Bethel A.M.E. Okay. Bethel A.M.E. We'll pray for them. Anybody else? I got a home team from our other church. Okay. Matt and, what is it? Laura. Matt and Laura. Okay, we'll play for Cornerstone and Matt and Laura. Okay. Anybody else? Any other church? Christian Covenant. We'll pray for Christian Covenant this morning. If we get any more, I may forget. So we'll pray for those, and then, uh, and then we'll get into Genesis chapter 17. The title of the sermon this morning is Pick Up the Knife. So it's going to be a little crazy. Uh, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I just thank you for the churches that are gathered in this community and in surrounding communities. And thank you that it really is, truly is one church. We celebrate the fact that we have brothers and sisters all over this city right now, gathered and all over this region, all over the state, all over this country, and then all over this world. And Father God, we lift up Bethel AMC, or I think those letters are correct, and ask that wherever they are gathering right now, that, that God, you would work powerfully there. And if there's anybody there that doesn't know you this morning, that they would come face to face with the truth of their sin and the truth of what you have done to overcome their sin, um, that they would meet Jesus this morning. And uh, God, I pray that you would encourage them, you would uh, convict them, and uh, just work powerfully there. And God, we lift up uh, um, the couple that, that Ryan mentioned and Cornerstone this morning. We just ask that you would work in their, their lives specifically. And also in the lives of Cornerstone members this morning. Everybody that may be attending this morning, God, work powerfully there. Pre speak through Michael or whoever's preaching. Help Nathan or Dustin, whoever's leading. And God, we lift up uh, Christian Covenant this morning as they're gathering over there. And I just I thank you for the brothers and sisters that are there. And I ask you, God, to do a real work there this morning in the hearts of the men and women that are there. And then for us, as we receive your word, help us to receive it as your sons and daughters. We want to respond in appropriate ways. We want to hear your servants, God. We're in here listening. So help us. Help us. Change us. And just work again in any way you see fit. And we trust that you're going to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 17, part 2. Last week, we looked at the covenant of circumcision. God's covenant with Abram. Changes his name to Abraham. And then his covenant-keeping ability to generations after him, and uh, what that means for us today, and then today specifically, uh, what it means for us today, and then this morning specifically, we're going to look at part two, where, where Abraham actually obeys the Lord and is circumcised as a 99-year-old man. And not only does he circumcise himself, but he circumcises his 13-year-old son Ishmael, and then the 300, approximately 300 men that are in his in his family, under the under the covering of his household, and so it's pretty a uh, pretty radical thing that we're we're seeing here in Genesis 17. Um, but obedience to the Lord is just simply obedience to the Lord. There's no such thing as radical or crazy obedience or simple obedience. It's just we obey or we disobey the Lord. And we're going to look at Abram's obedience to the Lord, Abraham now his obedience to the Lord this morning. But I want you to feel a little bit of what Abraham felt this morning. Not physically, like with pain, but I want you to feel 
the awkwardness of hearing a word from the Lord that just seemed weird. Why circumcision? He's 99 years old. The situation that Abraham finds himself in is a God who's speaking to him, and it seems to be a strange word. Why this? How odd it must have been. We read through Genesis, or you read your daily Bible reading, or you go through your yearly Bible reading, and you come across passages like this. And if you've read through your Bible before, uh, you know you've kind of you've you've seen it, you've read it, you may maybe somewhat familiar with it. Maybe you haven't read your Bible before, and and you're reading through it, and, and maybe for the first time, even this morning, you're hearing it, and you're thinking this is the weirdest thing ever. I really hope we don't do this. If you're a male in here, I hope we don't do this circumcision thing. I mean, what's going on? Um, uh, right with this passage, but um, but sometimes we can just kind of blow by a passage, but we forget that this really happened, that this word from the Lord to Abraham really happened, and it really was kind of a, a you know, get a glass of water, sit back, okay, get the earwax out, did I really hear this word from the Lord in the right way? If any time somebody could have questioned if that was he, himself or if it was the Lord, it would have been this time, I think, and, um, and Abraham, we see, obeys. But I want us to experience, okay, just maybe a fraction of what Abraham would have experienced that day. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of just read a plethora of verses this morning. And I'm going to start with a bunch of verses, and then I'm going to take the next step after we look at a bunch of verses. In, we're going to take the next step, part two, into Genesis 17. And then we're going to step out of that for part three, step out of Genesis 17. And we're going to look at three passages in the New Testament that are somewhat difficult passages, and it would be easy for us to just kind of let them go in one ear and out the other, but I want us to hear the words of the Lord, and I want us to, by the grace of God, obey like Abraham obeyed. Because in a world that we live in, in the world that we live in, we have all these warring authorities. And what I think and what I feel bumps up against, what I think and what I feel bump up, bumps up against the word of the Lord. And if we think the word of the Lord sounds peculiar, the, 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 the air we breathe is to just reject it and do what you want to do. Or find even a few verses that agree with what you want to do and ignore what God is commanding you to do. And so... This morning, I want you to feel a little bit of what Abram must have felt like in Genesis chapter 17. Now, these passages, the plethora of verses that I'm going to read, uh, and you're going to have to hang with me, whatever part of the theological spectrum you're on, some of these are going to make you feel a little awkward. And it's going to be like taking a Band-Aid and, and just ripping it off real quick, and you're going to feel like, oh my gosh, and it's going to feel somewhat shocking to you, but these are the words of the Lord. And if it's shocking to you, that's okay. What's wrong is not the scriptures, but it's either how we're understanding it or how we're perceiving it. But I want you to feel some of the shock factor of some of these verses. And then we can maybe feel somewhat of what Abraham felt when he heard this whole thing about circumcision. Okay, does it make sense? So we're going to hear some shock factor verses here. And then we're going to, to walk through Genesis 17. Or excuse, yeah, Genesis 17. So I'm just going to read these. There's no way you have time to read to, to flip through all these. So just hang with me, and then we'll get to uh, we'll get to the end. We're going to start in Genesis, and we're going to end in Revelation. But I promise it won't take three and a half weeks. Um, Genesis chapter one, verse 26 and 27. God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Now I'm going to pause and explain what I'm doing uh, one more time so that when the rest of the verses come, you'll understand what, what I'm trying to do here. For some of you, this verse, you're just like hearty amen, and it's no big deal. But if you're a theological, quote-unquote, liberal, or if you're in a particular church or grew up in a particular church, or if you grew up not in the church at all and you just kind of grew up in, in society, to hear this verse would be radically controversial. Okay, So depending upon where you're at, some of these you may not feel uncomfortable with at all. 
But then some of you may feel very uncomfortable with these other verses. Okay? So that's kind of how this is going to work. So God created man in his own, own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. G Genesis 2, 24. Therefore man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Genesis 6, verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Genesis 45, verse 5 through 8. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which they ne there is neither plowing nor, nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord to all his house, and a ruler over the land of Egypt. This is Joseph talking to his brothers. Psalm 103, verse 3, Who forgives all your iniquity and heals all of your diseases. Psalms 115, Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Everything that He pleases, He does it. Psalm 119, 71, It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Exodus 4, verse 11, The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Exodus 7, 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs, and, and, and though I will, I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Ezekiel 18, 23. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God? And not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Joshua 10, 14. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. 1 Samuel 6, 14-16, and then verse 23, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre, and when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he'll play it, and you'll be well. Verse 23, Whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and, and was well, and the harmful spirit departed him. Job 42.11 Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. Amos chapter 3, verse 6. Does disaster come upon a city unless the Lord has done it? Matthew 25, 27, 28, and verse 48. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 48. You, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew, verse 19 Verse 4 through 6, Matthew 19, verse 4 through 6. He answered, Have you not read that he created them from the beginning, made male and female, and said, Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Matthew 25, 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Mark 11, 24. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Romans 9, 11, 12. 
They were not yet born or done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. 1 Peter 2.9, they stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to. 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore that those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to the faithful Creator by doing good while doing good. Revelation 20, 14, and 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 21.8. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now for some of you, some of those verses, it was like taking not just a band-aid, but it was like duct tape was put on your hairy leg, or ladies, on your head, or wherever you have hair, on your arms here. And it was just like ripping it off. Now imagine Abraham, 99 years old, and hearing the word of the Lord come to him about circumcision. Not just you, but your children and everybody else. I mean, I'd be thinking, there's going to be mutiny, God. All those men, they're adults. Like, it's going to be sheer chaos. What? So how about us? Are we okay when God's word... Or does, are we okay with God's word? Or does God's word have to line up with what we think or what we feel? Do you, and I'm asking this of me as well, love all of God's word? Or only the verses that make sense to you? Or are we tempted with the verses that don't make sense to us to ignore them or throw them to the side because the word of the Lord is going to come just like it did to Abram and you're going to be reading your Bible and you're going to be studying and you're going to do that daily devotional plan or you know that year plan that turns into six years. You're reading through the Bible and you read and you come up against some of these verses and you're going to be wrestling. You're going to be thinking, what, what's going on? Am I, are we just to ignore the word of the Lord or just pick apart and just like what we like and then throw away what we don't like? Do you pit Bible verses against each other and then call it Scripture interpreting Scripture? Because Scripture interpreting Scripture is saying it's all God's Word. I may not understand all of it and how it all fits together, but I love it all. I don't just love the verses that I get. I love it all. I may not understand and I may never understand all of it, but I know that I'm going to say yes and amen to everything in the, in the Bible. I love it all. Scripture interpreting Scripture means loving all of God's Word, even when you don't know how it fits together. We love it all. So how should we respond to God's Word when it doesn't make sense to us? When we're challenged by something? When we hear in Ephesians chapter 5, the Scriptures challenge our speech, and it says, let nothing unwholesome come out of your mouth. And you think, oh, it's just coarse joking, and it just says, and then it says, and, or like coarse joking. And you bump up against that. What, what does that do to you? Do you just ignore it? Act like it's not there? It's no big deal? Just walk away from it? Well, we're going to find out. I hope, by the grace of God, and this is not going to be just a bunch of commands and say, hey, try harder. We're going to get to the gospel power here at the end. But how should we respond to God's word? Let us learn this morning from Abraham. Okay, let us learn. 
How did Abraham respond to the difficult word of the Lord? So now, look in your Bibles, verse 15 of chapter 17. We're going to look at verse 15 and 16 first. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. The word of God comes to Abraham again, and now it's the first time that we hear explicitly that the seed, the offspring, is going to come not just from Abraham, but it's going to be Abraham and Sarai. We're going to find out a little bit later that Sarai reacts in a little bit different way. She laughs in a different way than Abraham laughs here in a second. But the word comes to him, and it is, I, I think, quite favorable. It, yes, Sarai's going to have a, a son. How's this going to happen? She will be the one through whom all these promises, all these things are going to happen. Kings and people shall come from her. The word of the Lord. Verse 17 the word of the Lord continues. It tells us things about Abram's response. Verse 17, Abram fell to his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who's ninety years old, bear a child? And Abram, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. Now, Abraham didn't voice what was going on internally, just like many of us often don't voice what's going on internally. He's processing what he's hearing from the Lord. Okay? So it's stern, he's thinking, and we've got to be careful because Romans chapter 4, verse 19 says that Abram did not waver in faith as he considered the promises of God. So he believed the Lord and he trusted the Lord that this was going to happen. But have you ever laughed at something and for everybody else it, it seemed very inappropriate that you were laughing? This actually happened to me last night. Um, uh, there was a situation where there's a, a pop-up tent that we got for my brother-in-law. And uh, my brother-in-law, they were wanting to go camping, so it was his birthday. And so we went over last night, we got this pop-up tent. And uh, it's one of those things where you just pop, you know, you throw it and it just kind of pops up. You know, the dilemma every time you go camping of trying to figure out how to put the tent up. You know, you, you know that problem, you end up throwing and kicking stuff. Or I heard that people do that. Um, and uh, this tent, you know, it's just, you just unzip it and whew, and it just magically pops. So the, it's very easy to put up. The problem is putting it back together. Okay? So you have to do this. We actually had to look it up on YouTube. And I, and the, the, the room was getting serious. And I love my family. I love my in-laws. They're fantastic. But sometimes I don't read the signals that are in the room very well. And he is getting very serious about this tent. And I am I'm just laughing at this tent. I'm not laughing at him. I'm not laughing at anybody else. But I'm thinking, like, <laughs> this is so silly. This tent. Oh, my gosh. We can't get this tent together. And it was, everybody else knew that, like, why are you laughing? It's very serious right now. And, you know, I'm the in-law that just doesn't get social cues sometimes. And... Uh, so anyways, at one point, and I love my, we get along very well, but he looked at me and I thought like, oh gosh, he's serious. Um, he thinks I'm laughing at him. And I was laughing at the, I was laughing at the tent. And, uh, and then I can't explain that I'm laughing at the tent. It's just, uh, it's just a mess. But here, Abram is laughing and he's not laughing because of lack of faith. He's not laughing because he's mocking the Lord. But he is thinking to himself, how I, I am, I am, oh, I'm getting up there, Lord. My wife, it, she's getting up there. She's 90. I mean, that whole thing we talked about, the M word we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, menopause. Uh, it, it happened like 30 years ago. Like, seriously? For his wife, the, the word of the Lord did not seem or feel right to Abraham. 
He had faith in God, but he did not understand the word of the Lord. Let, let's just be, let's get all on the same map here, okay? Let's get all on the same page. Have you ever been reading your Bible and you just didn't understand something in there? You're like, I just, I don't, I don't get that, okay? Still yet, who's been following, how many years have you been following the Lord now, Kurt? 43. Anybody been walking with Jesus longer than 43 years? Bud and Jan might over there. I don't know. Jan, how many years have you been walking with Jesus now? Okay. Ooh, anybody else? Anybody else? <laughs> anybody else? 45 by one year. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jan, is there still some things when you read the Bible you're just like, I don't understand. Okay, there's still some things. It's just the word is clear. It's, it's simple. And yet it is profound and complex. And sometimes it's hard to figure out the pieces. How does this fit? And how does this fit? We all in the same boat? Okay. We're all in the same boat. So Abram is laughing to himself, not in mockery, not in disbelief or un unfaithfulness to the Lord. He's just he's, he's considering these things. And then the question rises up, oh, that Ishmael may live before you. I mean, that's not a question. It's a statement before. Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? It's the question. I, I don't understand. So the word of the Lord comes and he's got questions about it. And that happens to us today. I mean, we're, we're, we're in a similar boat. We're reading our Bible, and we're just, you know, I just don't understand. doesn't feel right. Verse 19 and 21 then, it, it continues to unfold. It says this, God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac, which means, look at that little number that's by that word Isaac. If you can do that, we'll do some Bible study tips right now. You see in your Bible a little, little mark there. Now go down. It says Isaac means he laughs. Okay? That's just, God is very, he's funny at times. And his name shall be Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you, behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So Isaac is promised. Blessings will go forth through Ishmael, yes, but the promise is coming through, through Isaac. Verse 22 down through 27, we're going to see how Abraham now responds. And this is how, by the grace of God, I want us to respond to some of the things that we're going to look at here in just a second. Part 2 is almost done. So we're like at part 2.5 right now. Verse 22 through 27. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from the mountain. Uh, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And that day, Abraham and his son Isaac, or I, Ishmael, were circumcised. And the men of his house, those who had been born of his house, those who had been bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Abraham obeyed the voice of the Lord. He did as God said for him to do. Verse 23, it says it clearly. As God said to him, he did it. Abraham was 99 years old, and he circumcised all, and it makes it explicitly clear, because it says it several times. It says the C word and then the F word the, you know, that you see in there. It's just weird. Um, 
over and over again, it's just he obeyed the word of the Lord. Now, here's the challenge for us this morning. How do we respond to God's word? How do we respond? When it's peculiar. You know, because we grew up in southern Illinois, many of you, or wherever you grew up, if you grew up in this country or grew up somewhere else, you, have, you grow up with cultural you know, um, perceptions, how things work, how things operate. You grow up with, if you grew up in a Christian home, you grow up with a certain theology that you kind of catch growing up. You grow up with a worldview. And certain things in different cultures press upon what feels right and what a person thinks is right, what seems true about God naturally. And so when you're reading the, the scriptures, when you bump up against God's word and it's peculiar, how do you respond? Do you love it and not put it against other verses because we love all of the Bible? Do you wrestle with it, scripture interpreting scripture, or do you kind of reject it, ignore it, walk away, and I just don't know what to do with that? Do you agree as long as the scriptures agree with you? It's easy to agree with God's word when it lines up with what you think, isn't it? Like, yeah, that sounds right. I like that. It's good, God. You, got, you nailed that one. <laughs> you know? Hitting it out of the park, Lord. I'll obey as long as it seems right to me. As long as it's reasonable, God, as long as you, you're asking something reasonable to me, as long as I can have all the details and you know, dot some I's for me, cross some T's, I'll obey. I like these verses, but not these verses. We, we have our preferences. There's Bible verses that pop out on the page. It just, it just, you see it, and you just, oh my goodness, it's like the matrix. You just look all over, and it's everywhere. And then there's verses that like, like I just, I haven't seen that. It doesn't pop up at the page at me. I just, I don't, for some reason, just see those as clearly. How about this? Here's a response that I've heard before. I'll just have to pray about that and see what God says to me. Speaking about God's Word. I'll have to pray about God's Word to see if God tells me something differently than He's already said in His Word. What? You heard that one? I know what God says about marriage, but I don't love him or her anymore. I'm out. Happens all the time. God would want me to be happy. So we're going to look at three passages and ask hard questions to ourselves about how we respond to God's Word. Okay? And just like a good gospel-centered sermon, I want you to think about some things in this because I want the law to expose some things. And as these commands come forth to you, I want you to evaluate yourself. And I want you to think about it. Okay? Because good news always comes after bad news, right? That's how the gospel works. You're a sinner. Jesus died for sinners. Okay? So I want you to think about these three things. We're going to look at three, part three of the sermon. So if you're taking notes, it's good, neat, and organized. Three passages. We're going to look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28. We're going to look at Matthew 18. And we're going to look at church discipline. And then we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5 on marriage. We're just going to make a couple comments. And I want you to think about how easy it is for us to say that's for other people but not for me. Or to sidestep it and say the church will take care of that and forget if you're a believer that you are a part of the church. So let's look at these three things. Matthew chapter 28. And these I'm going to ask you to turn to. And we are going to... You know what? I'm not even going to say we're going to move through these quickly because who knows. 
as soon as I say I'm going to finish something quickly, I lie to you because I don't. So here we go. Matthew 28. I always try, but for people who are talkers, when they try to talk less, they just talk about how they're trying to talk less. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 down through 20. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And they saw him, and when they saw him, some worship, uh, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't that interesting? The resurrected Lord right in front of them, some doubting. Humanity, we have an unbelievable ability to be real dumb. You know? Like, here's the resurrected Lord. Who knows? I might have been amongst the crowd there. It was like, I, you know... I don't know. I just don't know. Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Well, that's incredible. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus declares, The same amount of authority I have in heaven, you believe me, apostles, you believe me, disciples, I have it here. There is no place in this world that I don't have all authority. And the one with all authority begins to speak. And he says, make disciples of all nations. Go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And they, in obedience to the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit after Pentecost, went forth and they began to, by the grace of God, make disciples and do this. And then they taught the disciples unto them, hey, now this, this message continues. The mission goes forth. It doesn't end with you. Now, give this message away to somebody else. Take it forth. This is what you exist for now. Jesus has all authority. He speaks. And I want you to imagine being there. Let's go ahead and do that. Okay? Let's do it. Close your eyes. Imagine being there. Are you among the ones that doubt? You might be, but you're still there around Him. And you hear Him speak. I have authority over everything. And I want you to go Therefore, because I have authority over everything, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Stop. Look up. Pretty hard task, right? Do you realize that's for you? That's your mission this week? You have a job? Why do you have a job? Well, to make money. Why do, you have, why do you need to make money? To take care of your kids. Well, we don't have any kids, so I need money to eat. Okay? Why do you really have a job? Because you have a mission. And that's where God has you, on mission. That's, why, that's your purpose. We are on mission. We have a commission in our life. You know what, what Monday, tomorrow looks like for you? I don't know, but it means being on mission. It means making disciples. Who are you discipling? Who's discipling you? To make disciples, you have to evangelize. Who are you, who are you evangelizing? Jesus, the one with all authority, has told us this. Go, therefore. Make disciples. Unless you get crippled by the command, He comes at the end and says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Before you feel powerless about this mission... Jesus says, oh, you know what? The one with all authority, I, I'm with you to the end of the age. 
talk about some fuel for that mission, right? You're not alone. So when that word comes to you, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that He's commanded you. He's with you always. Is that optional for a believer? Is that optional for you? This is your life mission, so how do we respond? Because it's easy to say, well, the church takes care of that. The organization, the church. That command is for you. Well, the church takes care of discipling people and kids and, and you know whoever. They do the ministry to the poor. The church, the organization does that. Hello, people of God, that's you. That's me. That's through the week. That's when we go out. We are sent like missionaries. We talk about in our state or in our um, one of the things that we put together is that uh, we exist to preach the God. Uh, I forget. Anyways, it's on the website. Um, but uh, but we. So when we go forth, you know where when we leave these doors, we are being sent. We're being sent. We're on mission. That's why we exist. We have a message by the grace of God, and it goes forth. So how, how are we going to respond? Are we going to pick up the knife like Abraham? Or you individual? Are you going to, 10 years from now, if I ask you, who, who's discipling you? Who are you discipling? When's the last time you evangelized? Are you going to say like, it's been like 14 years ago. No, I don't have anybody that I'm pouring into and discipling. I have nobody that I'm teaching to observe the commandments of Jesus. I have nobody. And I have nobody. I haven't even sought anybody out to to pour into me, to disciple me. Is that going to be your response? So pick up the knife. Let's obey the one who has all authority. Second, church discipline. Matthew chapter 18. Flip back. Ten chapters. And with absolute clarity, I want to show you how many believers, and me for years, and maybe people in your life, maybe some in this room, um, don't believe Jesus is really all that smart, to be honest. We don't really think He knows how relationships work. We don't think we, we know how we don't think that He knows how to keep peace. We really just could give Jesus a lot of pointers on his social skills. That's what we think, and I'll prove it to you right here. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. And church after church throughout this whole world, and you have done it as well, and I have done it as well, it, it, it went like this, we think. If your brother sins against you, go and tell somebody else, and don't talk to the person that sinned against you. That's what we really think. Whatever you do, avoid the person who sinned against you. Talk really stern about their sin when other people are around. But when they come around, do whatever you can to ignore that call to like, oh gosh, I don't want to see that person, avoid that person, they sinned against me, I don't want to talk to them. But Dan, I'm going to tell you, Hank, oh, man, Hank was a jerk to me. I mean, my goodness, threw coffee on me. I mean, just unbelievable, you know, and you need to know about it. Um, so anybody, right? Okay, let's just not label other churches. Anybody in here gossip before us in this room? You gossip? Me? To brothers and sisters in Christ? About other brothers and sisters in Christ? Have you felt the tension to want to avoid doing this? Because it doesn't work, right? It'll push them further away. 
Well, it keeps going. If a brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between him and him, him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Here's where things really blow up because as soon as Jesus speaks about how reconciliation happens between people, between the body of Christ, we have the body of Christ coming and giving counsel to Jesus and saying, Jesus, that will push them away. They'll feel bombarded. Two people are going to come now. It was one. You're, are you kidding? You're going to lose that relationship. You're going to push them away. They're going to leave the church. They're going to not like you and talk bad about you. Jesus, come on now. Seriously? Maybe that's, that's how it worked back then. But man, that's very archaic now. We have better ways of dealing with people now. We have Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> or, have you ever heard, I'm just going to pray for them. That's not what Jesus says to do. And how quick are we to like, yeah, but pr praying for them really is easier, Jesus. I mean, it really is. I would just rather pray for them. I don't, I don't after all, want to be the Holy Spirit to them. I mean, I don't want to make that mistake. I don't want to play God here and just kind of point them out their faults. And we have all these excuses of how to avoid this peculiar word from the Lord. It's amazing. You know what? By the grace of God, I want to commend you. You know what? I, I don't think I've heard a single word of gossip that has not been stamped out or just in, in our church. I, we haven't experienced that at all. Has anybody heard gossip here? I'm a serious question. Like for real, like the last year and a half? I haven't. That's awesome. If you do, smack them around a little bit. Tell them to repent. Okay? Seriously. I, 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 there's not been gossip. Praise the Lord. Like we don't have to deal with that nonsense. And let's not fall into that trap. But here, if we sin against each other, and I've got a classic example. I don't want to take the time, but there was one time when I, I really knew, man, Andy's a brother, as he confronted me to my face and said, Jared, you sinned. You sinned. You know, it was like one of those, I know, I'm sorry, you know, kind of moments. But man, we need those moments. We need those. But it's so easy to try to sit and give counsel to Jesus on how things really work relationally and avoid we don't pick up the knife. We don't obey. I, wanna, I don't want to push them away. I want to maintain a relationship. It doesn't work in the real world. I don't want to play the Holy Spirit. And we try to act wise about how we avoid Jesus' words. We don't understand. Neither did Abraham. He didn't understand all the details about it. What did he do? Picked up the knife. 99 years old. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, down through the end of the chapter. I'm actually not going to read that whole passage. You can. Uh, but here's how it gets in. Here's how the, the waters get muddy with marriage. Uh, roles of wives, roles of husbands. Uh, Dustin Wright actually helped me think through this about eight months ago, six months ago or something, or however long it was. Uh, the husband always hears what God says to the wife, and the wife always hears what God says to the husband. And we literally, like, it's like we stuff 500 cotton balls in our ears when God is speaking to us. And so we just highlight, like, see that, baby? Hmm. See that word submit? Oh, baby, if you'll just submit, I'll be a better man. And you will be loved. And oh, man, you'll unleash, you know, the, the godly man in me and oh, all these different things. All right, the wife hears, yeah, how about loving me like Christ loved the church? Pick up your socks. Okay? How often in marriage have we heard the justification? And I said it, and I'm going to repeat it because it's so common. 
They don't make me happy anymore. I just don't love her. Just don't love him. I'm out. How many husbands and wives have heard it, read it, reject it? Forget it. Doesn't work. He's not doing his part. I'm not going to do my part. Hmm. So we have three examples of words from the Lord that people out there and people in here like to hear and avoid. Mm. Mm. I like this other stuff today, Jesus. I like what you have to say here today, but not here. God, I like that word, but I don't like that one. How do we respond? I'll tell you how Jesus responded. How about that? Here's some hope. Hopefully, and you'll have to help me out with this, Spurgeon said, the needle of the law precedes the thread of the gospel. Boom. Okay? Hopefully you've evaluated. There's been some introspection. Do you work just to work, or do you work because you're on mission? Every day. Every day, that's what the command is. Do you work just to make money? Do you avoid God's Word? Do you pit God's Word against each other? Like they're in a duel? When you're reading through your Bible? You love it all. Chew it all. Yes, God, whatever word you have. I may not understand it, but I believe it's true. I may not get it all. It all fits together somehow. But I'm going to love it all. I'm never going to pit this verse against this verse and, and try to have them fight it out. And we've gone through this. We went through Ephesians. We talked about predestination for goodness sake. We've talked about human responsibility. We've gone through this. We talked about prayer. And we talked about all these different paradoxes. What do we do? Do we like pick certain things and then just like fight? Or do we love all of God's Word and respond in just humility and just say, God, I may not understand, but I'm going to pick up this knife. I'm going to be on mission. I'm going to obey you. And there's hurting people out there. And there's a message that you're sending me forth with. And I don't want to miss the people that are in front of me today. Pick up the knife. Jesus never distrusted the Word of His Father. Ever. He loved the Bible. He loved the Word that He heard from the, of the Lord. He lived by every word that proceeded out of, the, out of the mouth of God. The food of Jesus in John chapter 4 was to do the will of His Father. He, he didn't pick God's word against each other. He knew and loved the Bible. And He obeyed the voice of the Lord at every moment of every single day at the heart level. Not just at the action level. Not just walk the other mile. I can walk another mile for somebody, but I'm going to internally be thinking about how many miles they owe me. I'll scratch your back, and I'm not going to say this out loud, but internally, I, my, I'm counting how many back scratches you owe me now. This is how we operate. Jesus never did that. When He was tempted by Satan, instead of questioning God's Word, which is always what the enemy wants us to do, He always wants to pit the Bible against each other. He always wants to pick some and reject the others. He always wants to lead us to not responding to God's Word, but to trusting in our own Word, our own thoughts, what I think and feel, more than what God says. And what did Jesus do? It is written. It is written. It is written. In His moment after fasting for 40 days, 
The enemy comes and says, here's all this. And he fights, does battle with the enemy with what? God's word. He doesn't listen and it doesn't tickle his ears. He shuts it down with the word of God. Jesus did this for you. Do you realize every time we sidestep the Bible, every time we just, bad theology, you realize that Jesus died for our bad theology or incomplete theology? You realize that? Bad bad theology that's not 100% right is sinful. And all of us have sinful theology in some way or another. But nobody's ever been saved by our thoughts of God or our theology. We're saved by Christ and Christ alone. Jesus had perfect theology in our place, perfect thoughts. He obeyed the word of God in our place for us. Therefore, for us who have sideswiped the word of the Lord, who have listened to that still small voice called the enemy that tries to sound like the Holy Spirit, who have rejected, have disobeyed, have worked for ourselves and not worked for the Lord, he did that for us in our place. Therefore, what? We're forgiven. Therefore, we have power, power, if we get that truth, that Jesus did this in our place, that he rightly received God's word without pitting it against each other, without sidestepping it, without trying to give God a little advice on what he should be saying. If we understand that, that he did that in our place for us, and he died on the cross for all the times that we rejected God's word, listened to the enemy, uh, had terrible thoughts about God, and all the things that we sidestepped, then we, again, this morning, the forgetful people that we are, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gratitude will just sink deeper and deeper and deeper into the crevices of our heart. And out of that gratitude, out of that gratitude, In verse 23 of chapter 17, in verse 23, it says this. When Abraham took Ishmael, the son, and all those born in his house, or brought with money, or every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he was circumcised in the flesh of the foreskins that very day, as God said to him. If we understand what Christ has done for us, we can pick up the knife. We can trust him. By the grace of God, we finally we have some power to stop living for ourselves at our jobs or in our homes or wherever it may be that you find in your recreational life. You can, by God's grace, have power to be on mission to say, it's not, if God's been this gracious to me, how can I not bring this message? When I go to school, when you go to school, Manny, like that, you have a mission there. God's like, hey, you know where I'm going to put Manny Bueller? Okay, boom, right here. You have people around you. God's got you there. It's not an accident. And so if you understand what Christ has done for you, there's freedom for you to step up and say, Jesus, I want to obey. I just want to, I want to be on mission tomorrow. And give me opportunities. Open my eyes to what's in front of me. So how about you? With the backdrop of Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, in your place, will we this morning, we're going to respond in gratitude? We're going to respond? We're going to walk away from sin? We're going to obey the Lord? We're going to leave that? Quit doing it? Stop? Quit it? And by God's grace, change? And walk forward and obey by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit as imperfect as it may be. God is doing this in us. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you, who's at work in you, both the will and to work for His good pleasure. So let's change and follow Jesus. Will we believe God? Will we obey Him? That's the question that hovers for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. Help us.
Uh, we talk about this obedience thing. We, and when I say we, me, the church, we have done a tr- terrible job pursuing obedience. Uh, time and time again, just, just kind of laying it out there and saying, hey, just work hard, do better. Uh, try the Holy, you're powered by the Holy Spirit, for goodness sake. Just start obeying the law of God. And God, we, I, that, that's not what we need here this morning. We need gospel power. We need to understand by the grace, by your presence, by your power, by your revelation, what you have done for us. And then help us in gratitude then. Therefore, therefore, help us this week to be on, let's obey. So show us the particular areas of our life right now as we get ready to sing that we're holding on to, that we need to be convicted of, not be condemned for, but convicted of, that need to change. Open our eyes to those things. And help us to follow you. Help us to grow in godliness this week. Help us to stop sinning in a particular area this week. And God, may it not be out of earning, but may it be out of gratitude, out of love, out of joy. Holy Spirit, work as we sing to you. Just build this gratitude in our heart. I trust that you will. In Jesus' name, amen.